0: And then the data uh, um, says that you are exposed to outdoor air pollution four times as much indoors mm. as you are if you're walking outside. Um, and so it's more concentrated. So, so what that means is that you need to implement mechanical interventions into your indoor environment, spe- specifically HEPA filters, uh and what they call ulpa filters which is like the next level up from hepa hepa stands for high efficiency particulate arrestance, which is 99 and three quarters percent effective um and uh and then ulpa is is a notch up from that and that takes out particles down to 0.1 microns so like atmospheric dust
1: Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the functional diagnostic nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're gonna hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com but for now, here is today's episode. All right. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. I believe we're on episode number 297 here uh, with Jason Earl. We brought him back for a part two. Uh, You guys loved this the first time, and we're really going to go into some different stuff uh, this time for part two. So I'll read his background, and then I'll explain what we're going to be focusing on Today, in case you maybe didn't hear this last time, his first episode, this is not something where you would have to go back in time and listen to the first episode to understand this. In fact, I would stay with us today, enjoy this episode, and then you could head back there because uh, that was a good one. He basically put on a masterclass on mold. It was an excellent episode. So here we go. Jason Earl is a man on a mission, an adoring father of two boys in diapers, incurable entrepreneur, and indoor air quality crusader. He is founder and CEO of Got Mold and the creator of the Got Mold Test Kit. The realization that his moldy childhood home was the underlying cause of his extreme allergies and asthma led him into the healthy home business in 2002, leaving behind a successful career on Wall Street. I actually looked you up, by the way, because I remember last time you had referenced um, you were one of the youngest traders of all time, and he does come up for that, so that was true. Pretty damn cool. Over the last two decades, Jason has personally performed countless sick building investigations, solving many medical mysteries along the way, helping thousands of families recover their health and peace of mind. He has uh, been featured or appeared on Good Morning America, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, very appropriate, as I mentioned last time, Entrepreneur, Wired, and more. Jason, welcome back to the show. Good to be here. Cool. Uh, all right. So he's also going to be. Uh, I'm thinking you got connected with Benazzati, right? You're going to be doing that show eventually. Indeed, indeed. All right. So if you guys don't know Benazzati, he's an FDN uh, amazing podcast, Keto Camp podcast. Definitely check that out too. And Jason will be uh, doing some stuff there. So for this particular episode, last time we we covered his story, covered the got mold thing, and this is going to intertwine into what we're talking about today. But we wanted to stay focused on two main topics. One is how this mold aspect and really just the air quality aspect of people's health is a foundational thing. This is something that should be being looked at, um, in our intake forms. It should be something that's being looked at within the first conversations of dealing with someone. And I am biased now and definitely towards this because of what I experienced recently. And the number two, we're going to transition a little bit into the legality behind this and your rights. There are so many people out there that are renting, especially in today's world, right? It's a lot of people having trouble saving up to maybe buy their first home. And then let's say you find freaking mold um, in the apartment or in the house that you're renting. What do you do? What, the rights for that. Uh, You'd be surprised just how many you have as a renter. So we'll talk about that as well. But uh, Jason, let's dive into how we can approach this from a foundational perspective uh, when we're dealing with clients or, or people in general. And at FDN, we always have our foundational stuff under the DRESS acronym. We look at it as diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, and supplementation. And this could fall under a couple categories, certainly the stress reduction side, because it is a huge stressor on the body. And the reason that I said I am biased now towards fully supporting this as a foundational thing is because if someone is doing all the FDN stuff, and they've done it for a while, and they've done it very damn well, Then you would think that if mold wasn't a foundational thing, it would have very little effect on one's health. And that hasn't been my lived experience recently. For those that didn't hear the other show, I was in an apartment that was actually super nice. And I think that's another thing that is probably a topic for a different day, right? Just because you live in a nice place or a decent place does not mean that you can't have mold. Mold can be anywhere. And so we moved into this apartment that we were paying way too much for. And within a few months, I started getting these odd injuries. And then another few months, I started getting crazy sinus stuff. And it got so bad to the point that I was waking up in the middle of the night uh, gasping because my nose was so clogged. I wasn't breathing through it. So I'd be like choking for air. I'm waking up my fiance, scaring the hell out of Maddie. And so now I believe that this is totally a foundational thing because I've been doing the FDN stuff for seven years. Generally speaking, I feel amazing and it still got me. So I know it's a long winded spiel. I know it's a lot of prefacing, Um, but I'm curious from your perspective as someone who's seen the effects of this firsthand. And, 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 you know, FDN, right? You've talked to Reed before, you've talked to me now, how do you see this, um, fitting in as a foundational piece of our work as FDN practitioners?
0: Well, first of all, thanks for, for the, the, uh, generous introduction and thanks for <laughs> having me back. It, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, you know, in terms of the, the dress acronym, I think you could, you could look at, believe it or not, air as as part of a dietary, uh, intake. <laughs> Um, you know, we don't breathe so much as we consume our air. Um, and you know, that's a, it's, it takes a little bit of, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's a sh- sort of a shift in, in perspective. Um, but when we're breathing, you, you could argue that w- you know, we're, we're filtering to some degree, the air that we're bringing it in, we're consuming the oxygen and then we're expelling, uh, the carbon dioxide as waste. And along the way, we're also picking up all of the, or many of the pollutants that are carried in that air. Um, so so we're consuming air um, and we do this at the rate of if you if anyone heard our first show, 13 to 15 times a minute, which comes out to 20,000 times a day. Um, and so, you know, that's look at if you look at this as 20,000 doses, um, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine that you're going to be able to do anything in terms of nourishing with three meals a day or a handful of supplements uh, to to counteract the effects of of what what i would argue is also uh, a stress it's a repetitive stress if you're uh if you're doing this and you're doing it uh in an environment where the air quality isn't pristine um and so you know the 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 reality is is that there is no such thing as neutral air uh you either have healthy nutritious air air oxygen is a nutrient you know it's it's something that that's obviously it's fundamental to health um, but it is detoxifying. It's, it's energizing. It's a fuel, right? It's flail. It's, it, this is literally the stuff that makes life. And so on the on the other side, uh, w- where we have uh, unhealthy air, this is, you know, this is toxifying and it's and it's going to drain you of your vital energy and lead to disease and and premature death. And there is no neutral. There is no neutral. Right. So so you're eating either breathing, nutritive life giving air or you're or you're 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 um, accelerating your own demise. And it's really that binary. I know it sounds heavy handed when I say it that way. So you could argue that, that that air quality as a foundational element of health actually hits two out of the out of the, uh, the two of two of the letters within the dress acronym.
1: Sure, and then I guess the next question is, and and none of the stuff that we ever say on the show, guys, is ever to overwhelm people. Right? We deal with a certain reality. It's kind of a crazy one in today's world. We we are doing many things wrong. We are poisoning our water. We're poisoning our air. Poisoning our food. Um, so you can get very neurotic about this very easily once you know this stuff. Uh, that's not the that's not the goal. Um, the idea is always to remember the human body is incredibly resilient. Otherwise, we couldn't even do a podcast like this. We wouldn't have gotten this far. What we want to do is educate ourselves and act. On what we can act on in the way that's necessary and and the best that we can um, and then we go from there so with that said uh what i was kind of getting at is if I lived in a city right now, I mean, forget the mold thing for a second. There are temperature differences in cities compared to the surrounding suburbs often because there's so much damn pollution and other stuff going on that it's actually affecting, uh, you know, the environment that bad. I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing. Obviously, it's affecting us as humans. So the question is, um, you know, mold or not, it, it can be either. Where do we start then? Because there's no reality really in today's world other than I want to say if you lived super remote but I would assume that we're still even affecting those areas of the world. We are getting stuff today that our ancestors never dealt with in the air. So where can we ever st- or where can we actually start um to look at like l- let's make sure I'm not getting some of the big hitters. And an analogy for this I guess just to make this clear of what my question is, I can go eat organic food uh, but they the fact of the matter is they can use these organic pesticides and other things, but Hey, I'm at least way better off than the conventionally grown fast food crap. That's really not food at all. Um, ideal. No Uh, way better than what I have been doing as probably a lay human in today's world. Yes. So what are the big heavy hitters and how do we check for them if we're working with a client?
0: Well, so, um, backing up to, to what you, the way you started this also, I love how you said that there's a lot here and it can make you neurotic and it can be overwhelming and you know, there's certainly um, a lot that would cause people to 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 p- possibly, you know, send up, you know, ha- ha- send their hackles up um, or be concerned. And I, and I do think that it is worthy of concern. But there's a difference between being uh, fearful hmm. and being discerning. Um, and, you know, so in, in, a, in other words, um, well, let me say it. Let me say it differently. Uh, the way I look at general health is it's about air, food and attitude. Um, And you get your air straight, which which we're obviously talking about, get your diet straight, which has a lot to do, by the way, mycotoxins in food is a big issue, but also pesticides and everything else. Um, So food is is something that's very well addressed, I think, within within the FDN community. Um, But then attitude is is a really important part. I've never seen anybody get better uh, that that was afraid of mold. Um, because it's such a fundamental part of our of our world, it's like being afraid of you know sunlight or gravity. It's just it's so it's so basic, and I understand that it causes so much disruption. And I'm saying this being someone who went through this and helps people go through this, um, and I understand why people experience this kind of fear. But that but that doesn't lend itself to healing. You know, there's a certain degree of accepting the fact that yeah. this is part of our part of our world, um, and then learning how to be discerning about the decisions you make. Uh, so that you can successfully navigate around it. The, the analogy I use is, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to be afraid of the traffic light up ahead, right? Uh, you're going to make a left turn or right turn or you're going to go straight. Now, you have to be aware of that traffic light. Otherwise, you're going to potentially get into an accident, right? But to be fearful of that traffic light is counterproductive, right? You're going to have to make a decision either way. You're going to have to make a variety of decisions as you approach that light. Um, but 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 being fearful of it doesn't help you get to where you're gonna go. Mm. Um, and so so getting to the point where you accept that you know traffic lights are a part of our of our transportation system is same as understanding that mold is a part of our world. And so being aware of how it works um, and, and how it affects you is is one way to get past the fear of it um, and then understanding how to uh, avoid it, um, and, and then how to, to respond to it in a, in a pragmatic way is also because there's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of there, there's a lot of misinformation. And, and this is the biggest problem. <laughs> if you go to Google or go to Facebook and start looking up, uh, you know, start start asking questions about mold. Boy, you're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of stuff being sold to you that may or not may not be useful. Most of it will not be useful. And, uh, and you're going to hear a lot of fear from people that have had a hard time. Overcoming it, those tend to be the loudest voices, um, and they're not necessarily representative of 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 the of the, the of the mass. And they certainly don't represent uh, the people who have successfully uh, navigated this and overcome it, because those people don't have much to say, right? Yeah. Um, they're moving on with their life, <laughs> um, you know. So uh, it, it, the 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 way I look at um, air quality as a as a fundamental, you know, I always go back to air, water, food, and shelter, and sunlight. Right. These are the these are the these are the basic foundational elements of health. And and so everything that you do uh, to 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 optimize your health um, is built on those things. Right. Everybody wants to feel better, think better, be more beautiful, be younger. You know, they they all they all want to optimize. But until we get the basic stuff straight, um, there's there's really not much to do, um, and so when it comes to uh, the big ones, when it comes to air quality, listen. There's a, the outdoor air pollution is a big deal, um, and you know quite frankly, uh, to answer your the, your big question, you know outdoor air pollution actually affects us indoors too. Um, you know the this the data on this is pretty stunning because of the fact that when you when you run an exhaust vent in your house, like a dryer vent or a bathroom exhaust vent or a kitchen exhaust vent. Mm-hmm. Every cubic foot of air that leaves your house has to be replaced by a cubic foot of air that comes back in from outside, mm-hmm. right? These boxes are, are static in the sense that there's a fixed volume of air in every building that we live or work in, right? Mm-hmm. The walls don't bend in when the, when the air goes out, right? So air has to come in for air to leave. And so when that happens, if the outdoor air, if you live in a polluted area and by the way, there's pollution in almost every area, right? Um, but if you live in a polluted area, that means that air is infiltrating in an accidental way, right? It's not coming in through a fil- filter. It's not coming in, in most cases, through something that's going to reduce pollutants. And so, what happens is, it, it, over time, outdoor air pollution gets into your building, and then the data sh- uh, um, says that you are exposed to outdoor air pollution four times as much. Indoors, mm. as you are, if you are walking outside, um, and so it's more concentrated. So, so what that means is that you need to implement mechanical interventions into your indoor environment, Spe- specifically HEPA filters uh, and what they call ULPA filters, which is like the next level up from HEPA. HEPA stands for high efficiency particulate arrestants, which is ninety nine um, and three uh, quarters percent effective, and and then ULPA is is a notch up from that, and that takes out particles down to 0.1 microns. So like atmospheric dust, even viruses, things like that. And so when you see uh, companies like IQ Air, they have HyperHEPA, and you see I forget what uh, Air Doctors version of that is, but those are those 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 pores are much smaller in the in the HEPA. That you in our modern environment, uh, in our in our modern world. Having a really high quality air purifiers throughout your house, I think are, uh, I think it's fundamental. I think it's, I think they're required appliances in every home as sort of like a starting point.
1: Did we even talk about last time? I was like, I remembered some of these things. I, I love the, uh. Well, I don't love it, but I appreciate you sharing that, that the indoor air ends up becoming more toxic, right? Like we think, oh, close the windows. You're protected from the outside. It's like, well, where did the air come from? It's not growing in your house unless you have a forest going on in here. You know, it had to come out or uh, come in some way and then you're kind of just recirculating it. So uh, really interesting point there. But did we even get to talk about um, what air filters you recommend? Cause it's not like you're selling any from my understanding. So I- I'm curious what someone like you is interested in or using in your own home.
0: Well, I've got, as you might imagine, uh, a wide variety of them. We've got a lot of them uh, throughout our house. Um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Medify uh, Air. Uh, they make a lot of uh, they make a wide variety of units. But what's nice about Medify is that they have some very, very affordable ones. Um, they have ones that are as 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 uh, as little as a hundred dollars. So really useful uh, for apartments and and uh, and and first. Uh, Uh, small rooms. Um, In the middle of the range, I tend to like uh, Air Doctor. Um, They've got some 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 nice units um, that are in the you know, four or $500 range. uh, I, I used to recommend IQ Air a lot, but there are a variety of reasons why I, I kind of steer away from uh, IQ Air. Uh, the company made some changes, and they they kind of they built their business on on a, on a distributor network, and then and then one day unceremoniously like fired all their distributors and went DTC, which is you know not not a great way to do things. But they still make really great air purifiers. So if anybody's got IQ Air units, or if you if if, if you if you find that that's uh, within your budget, those are fabulous as well. And what's nice about them is they've got a lot of carbon. In them. Um, so IQ Air is great, uh, Air Doctor is great. Uh, Jasper is one of my favorites uh, in the uh, uh, on the higher end of things. And what's nice about the Jasper units is that they've got a nice uh, VOC sensor. So VOCs are volatile organic compounds, and mm-hmm. these are the gases that that are emanated from building materials, cleaning products, personal care products, um, and uh, mi- microbes. The musty smell, the microbial smell, or the musty smell is comprised of vocs also and so the jasper unit has a nice voc sensor in it uh and so it it will it will actually rev itself up to to meet the demands caused by a detection huh. of pollutant and it also has I, I mean i have one in my kitchen i love this thing it also has a particle counter so if i'm if i'm out at the grill uh which is all the way across my kitchen and we've got a little porch out and uh and it detects even the slightest bit of smoke that infiltrates and it, nice. and it ramps right up um, if I'm cooking bacon, you know, the, my, my, my exhaust fan is lousy in my kitchen. So here I am an indoor air quality guy with a lousy exhaust fan, um, <laughs> which just shows that the cobbler's son has no shoes. Right. Um, but, 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 but I've got an air purifier in close proximity to, 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 to knock that stuff down. And so Jasper is JASPR, um, and they're beautiful units and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm a huge fan. It's an up and coming company and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to support them, but no, we don't sell. Air purifiers, but I do recommend them across the board. Now I see Triad Air. Uh, is that a good filter? So that's a really good question. Triad Air is not a filter. Um, triad Air is a. Um, it's an ionizer, and it also generates ozone. Um, there is There are applications for ozone and for, for ionization in uh, indoor air quality improvement, but not as, a, not as a 24-7, 365 kind of a thing. Um, both ionization and ozone can uh, lead to, to other problems if they're overused. Um, ozone is especially useful for reducing uh, things like uh, uh, odors um and and it's it's used to sanitize as well and we really don't want to sanitize our buildings um we really want a healthy microbiome so the three enemies of healthy indoor air just a, a, a quick aside are uh, dampness which of course leads to mold growth and mm-hmm. proliferation of other allergens like dust mites and you know it also invites other other critters you know the insects and rodents and things so dampness is the number one enemy of, of healthy indoor air it's the number one enemy of a building uh, the second one is chemicals, which is you know we we slather our walls with chemicals. we everything we do is chemicals. Um, and so but that's that's a major problem because we're tight we're in these super tight buildings and we're breathing mm-hmm. twenty thousand times a day. Um, and it's probably the underlying cause of of much of the autoimmune and cancer and and things like that that we're experiencing in such you know um, in such uh, high numbers these days. And then the third thing that's an enemy of healthy indoor air is actually hypersanitization killing all the microbes, you know? The the data on this is very strong, that a high microbial diversity, meaning lots of different microbes in your building, um, actually leads to lower cases of asthma, allergies, and autoimmune disease. And I know we yeah. talked about this on the last show. And the same is, the opposite is true, where you know uh, a high micro, a low microbial diversity leads to much higher cases of asthma, allergies, and autoimmune disease. So when it comes to air purifiers, you really don't wanna do things that are sanitizing. And even with the units that I talk about, which are filters, and by the way, I, I know the guys at Triad Air, and, 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 I, and I and I think that they've got, uh, they're very well intended, and I think they actually have a good product. I just think it's not something that you want to run 24 hours a day because you'll cause harm. Okay. Um, but it does have, there are limited applications for it, especially in areas, where, especially in places where you have p- someone with a compromised immune system, that's actually much more useful. That's one of the, one of the few instances where you might want to use this in greater and um, uh, 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 more often. Um, but the, uh, but the thing about using all of these things any of the filters any of these air units is you want to you you want to get your get, mostly by the way the filters are actually really helpful to remove the little tiny chemical bits that come from the paints and and finishes mm-hmm. off of your Uh, your flooring and things like that. Uh, That stuff's deeply respirable, and it's also also really nasty stuff. So we want to get rid of the particles in our air, and we want to get rid of the VOCs and things like that. And then occasionally you want to open your windows and bring nature back in, right? Because we don't want to really get, we don't want to sanitize this to the point where we're not having any exposure to nature in our buildings. Because what happens is if you don't use it, you lose it. Your immune system stops recognizing these things. And then when you actually do have an exposure of, of any significance, you have a disproportionate reaction
1: to it uh, so many things here one with the window thing I think as winter's approaching for many of us listening not all of us uh, you know it can be harder and harder to justify and do uh, I always do it when I'm in the car and we we never talked about this last time Jason one of my if your favorite topic is probably mold in the health space I'm assuming I love uh, light and I love studying artificial light and the natural light and what it does Um, for us, and so one of the things that I adopted several years back, and people look at me like I'm ridiculous. I don't care if it's twenty degrees; I crack the windows in my car, and I just turn the damn heat up. Um, heat compared to air conditioning, especially in a car, is not going to you know raise your uh, fuel cost that much. Like you're you're barely touching anything there. Air conditioning is different, and so when I, I I do that, just so the natural light gets in unfiltered, but there's also this added benefit of the air side. And so one of the cool things that now I do is I I don't care if it doesn't have to be a beautiful car, but if I have the sunroof, that's what I want. Like I got to have something that I can open up and get the light in. And it makes it much more manageable from the heat perspective for those that are saying they're too cold. Um, with the house, you just do it every now and then it's like 30 freaking degrees here today. It's super windy. I do what I can. And I especially, um, I try to use some type of weighted blanket or something when I'm sleeping and I actually sleep very close to the window. Thankfully, I live in a place where there's zero light pollution, uh, coming from the back. I know this is, is not practical for everyone, especially you don't want to be getting the artificial blue light from a street lamp in your face all night. That's not going to be useful. But I sleep near the window and I leave it cracked. There's so many benefits to this, right? Not only the air side, but I'm lowering my body temperature, which we know is good for sleep. Um, there's a million different things here. So I, I like that you brought that up. We were talking overall about how this can be you know, kind of a foundational thing. And there's one thing that I want people to understand and even myself, because you might have a different opinion on this than mine currently is based on the information that I've received previously. A a lot of people could say, okay, cool. The first thing I'm going to go do then now that I heard this today is buy an air filter um, for the apartment and for the house or whatever it might be. If someone is truly dealing with, uh, with mold in their environment, is an air filter or an air purifier rather ever going to be enough for something like that? So, for example. Uh, my fiance and I discovered a black mold growing in our HVAC system. So it was coming directly out of the air conditioner. It's sitting in the vents. And every time that got turned on, it's blowing the stuff into the air. Uh, Certainly an air purifier is going to be better, but uh, there's people that really don't know this. Is that ever going to be enough or do you need to remediate or remove yourself from the situation?
0: Well, that's a very good question. Um, When it comes to an air quality issue of any sort, there's only three things you can do. Uh, one is source removal, which is essentially remediation. Um, and that's not always possible or practical uh, for, for, for a variety of reasons financial reasons, sometimes it's just a timing thing. Um, and so, you know, that it, sometimes you don't have control of the property, like in a case where you're renting. Um, and so that, that's a major issue. uh, So so source control is is ideal, but not always possible. The second thing you can do is dilute, which is bringing fresh air from outside. Now that can be Mm -hmm. done by opening windows, which of course you can't do if it's too hot, too cold, or too humid um and, or for any length of time or if you of course if you're concerned about you know if you're on the first floor you know it's not always a great idea for security reasons um but but getting fresh air indoors is a really good idea listen florence nightingale figured that out right she was she she said you know you got to open the windows and you got to let light in, light and let the air in and seriously and she was able to 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 transform health i mean she was the she was the first person to say get you know, get some fresh air in here and, and actually what you know, a concept <laughs> people got much better you know it was it was it was transformative um and so, you know, dilution has its value. And there are, by the way, there are mechanical systems called ERVs and HRVs, which allow you to bring, ex- expel the stale air and bring in fresh air uh, uh, in a way that uses a heat exchanger so you're not just blowing out air-conditioned air that you've invested money in or, or heated air. And so, that's a, a really useful tool for homes. Uh, you know, installing air exchange systems can also be very helpful for buildings that have VOC problems, which is very common because we build buildings that way. That's kind of the default setting. Um, And then the third thing you can do uh is you can filter the air um so that you know obviously putting in hepa filters and especially with carbon this is this is very important the thing is that the only true solution and the only long-term thing is really source control Mm -hmm. dilution is helpful to buy you time uh but it's 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 sort of a second uh it's it's a distant second to filtration because you can do that with your windows closed um and so Can you? The the main thing about air filtration, I think, is a basic thing you have to do, anyway, because of our modern world. But it is not a substitute for actually getting things uh, remediated. Um, You have to look at it as a as something that is a a stepping stone or something that will buy you time. Um, It can often overcome this in a significant manner. It can, you know, sort of deal with ninety percent of a small mold problem in terms of exposure. Um, But for those of us who are sensitive to these things. there, there. You know, the body is an amazing, in, exquisite, integrated array of precision sensors, and it mm-hmm. will know that it's there. and And you will not do well while that is sitting there. It's going to be like the pee under your mattress, like the Princess and the pea. It'll be that thing that's constantly bothering your immune system. Um, and so, um, I, I highly recommend that people use them as a tool to get you to where you're going, but not as a substitute for actual source control and remediation.
1: Okay, and I, I've experienced this firsthand. I did not splurge to get a super high level air filter. So fair enough. But one thing that was crazy to me, I could not believe I was still experiencing the symptoms with this is when we were at the apartment, we had, we had two bedrooms. One was used as an office though, but the office was where I had all the lighting and the the windows were uh, massive because I wanted the, the bedroom dark for sleep. And I wanted the office light for when I'm doing my podcasting zoom calls or whatever it might be. So we move an air mattress into the uh, office room to stay away from the mattress too, just in case it was that was the source, the mold. We had no idea at this point, and we're sleeping on the air mattress right next to the windows with it open, and I'm still having the issue of like waking up and and experiencing these things. So I'm not just sure if that's because I was in it most of the day uh, without the windows like too widely open because we lived in an apartment complex. So there's noises outside and stuff. I, I don't know why, but it was like when I switched the environment. That's when it immediately felt better, and thankfully I've made a, a lot of progress over these last uh, basically month and a half, two months since we've been out. Uh, some of the vertigo goes dying down. The dizziness is getting a lot better. So I'm excited to hear that I, or, I, or see where that goes, not hear that. Uh, one thing I have, just a selfish question, but I think a lot of people were wondering this one, and then we'll move into this legality side. And by the way, we got 33 people with us live today, especially since this is a part two. Uh, feel free to ask any questions as we go along here for Jason. And I'd be happy to prioritize some of them. The shower question. My vice, my dirty habit is that I love showers. And the worst thing is we're back at my parents temporarily, but my parents have an infinity water heater. That is my time, man. I come up with my best ideas. I'll be reading on my freaking Kindle on my phone in the shower. I'm, I'm ridiculous. And of course that builds a lot of steam. Uh, there's dampness and I've already noticed, okay, do I want to create the exact same problem here that I just had at the apartment? Uh, so again, funny question, selfish, but is there an additional thing that you can do to control the dampness in a bathroom? Cause the fan is not working for this. I've cracked the window to let some steam out. That's not working but are there any things out there that would actually work to control that? I mean,
0: it sounds like your bathroom exhaust fan, uh, isn't working. Um, okay. or, or it's, or it's undersized. Um, and by the way, a lot of those bathroom exhaust fans actually vent like into the ceiling. Uh, or into an attic or you know they need to go outside and so you know one of the things that I that I use smoke tubes and stuff professionally but you know what works really well is a piece of toilet paper you just hold it up to the fan and if it doesn't hold that if it doesn't hold the toilet paper up against the grill hmm. up against the grate then it's probably not working sufficiently, um, and you could do something—you know, light a match and see if the smoke goes right out. It really has to, and you should be able to track and see. Go to the outside of the building and see where that exhaust vent goes. And building management should be able to show you as well, right? That's a that's a that's a fundamentally crucial part of a of a healthy building. Um, kitchen exhaust vents, bathroom exhaust vents, in particular. Um, and what's funny is that they often put them over the toilet. Um, these are not fart fans. These are for moisture. Um, you know, they're designed to reduce um, the. They're not. They're not there for odors. They're there for 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 humidity. Um, and so, uh, no. I mean, the bottom line. Is, but but you know what? As a tangential uh, point, and this is a really important one, is that um, people often ask us about mold on the grout, a mold on the gr- the gr- the grout and the caulk in their shower. Mm-hmm. And ask whether or not this is something that they need to be concerned of you know concerned about and the the reality is that you've got a lot of a lot of uh, mold growing on on your tiles and stuff you probably just need that's kind of a hygiene thing more than anything else um but it also sometimes means that you've got too much latent moisture so a squeegee is useful get the moisture (laughs) down into the drain but what's more important than uh the mold growing on grout or caulk because that's actually really not a health hazard for, for, for the vast majority of people. <laughs> um, the, the bigger concern would be missing grout or caulk. Okay. Because when you have little gaps in, 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 in these, uh, in these seals around tiles and especially oh, okay. where the tile and the tub meet, which is called a cove. <laughs> so where these two, uh, uh, surfaces meet on a perpendicular plane, uh, And this also occurs at the base of the tub where the tile floor meets, right? Mm -hmm. These areas, you want to look really, be very careful about not allowing grout and caulk to fall apart there. Uh, You want to make sure that's always fresh because water gets in those drip, 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 drip. Once water gets in, it does not dry. Water gets behind the walls, uh, behind tile walls very, very easily when there's missing grout and caulk. And you won't know. Uh, you won't know until the tiles start falling off, and if and, and and oftentimes there's a bedroom right on the other side of that with your head right against that wall. Sure. So a lot of the really significant mold exposures that I've seen actually came from these very small, almost imperceptible leaks around tiles, around uh, around uh, bathroom surrounds, uh, wow. shower, shower and tub surrounds, um, and then and then they impact that wall between the bedroom and the and the bathroom, and so it's it's something to be very very aware of
1: okay great I'll do the paper t- um the toilet paper trick that sounds actually really good because I I have been kind of concerned I'm like it you know I grew up in this house so building management's my dad by the way so I'll ask him about the vents and see see what's going where here um you know because I, at the very least even if we're not going to be here forever um the last thing I want to do is leave my parents with this uh once I'm gone um I again I can change the showers pretty easily i think but i it doesn't make sense i'm like the fan should be working regardless and it's like afterwards sometimes like holy cow the the room's like filled um with dampness and again i don't want to walk into the same problem thankfully i feel good right now everything's fine here but yeah i would like to prevent the problem and i'm sure there's other shower lovers out there that were wondering uh we do have some questions from the audience i think uh it'd be really cool to go go to them if you don't mind let's do it nice we had someone ask do you need to move out if there is black mold in the house well,
0: uh, it depends if you're experiencing, uh, symptoms, uh, and, and, uh, and, and especially during remediation, it's often useful to, to move out, uh, to give the, especially if the, if the test results show that, that it's impacted areas that, that, that are primary living spaces, uh, that you're going to need to, 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 to not be in during the cleanup. That's absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most important thing about finding, if you've got black mold in the house, the most important thing, of any mold, okay? So black mold is kind of a, a kind of a uh, a misnomer. Um, there's no such thing as good mold growth of any significance in your house, unless it's growing in the brie in your fridge, right? Um, you know. You- this is the, the bottom line is that that if you've got any sort of mold growth of significance in your house, you have a moisture problem hmm. and it doesn't matter whether the mold is green, blue, black or purple. It's 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 a chemical factory. Um, and recent uh, uh, animal studies have shown that uh, that uh, that that uh, the musty smell is neurotoxic and all right. molds produce the musty smell. So we're not just worried about toxigenic species anymore. Uh, we're worried about any mold growth of significance. So. Um, so no, you don't have to leave the house because you've got mold growth. What you do need to do is get to the bottom of the moisture problem, figure out what's causing the moisture, and sometimes it's more than one thing. You need to fix that immediately, um, and then determine the extent of the mold problem. And that often requires some degree of testing, uh, and, and or a professional inspection, which often involves some degree of testing. Um, and then depending upon how significant that is, uh, you may need to relocate um, now you know we could, that This could dovetail into the conversation about renting when we get there. Uh, about you know how you handle that uh, because in some cases where you're renting, it does make sense to move. You've got that flexibility. When you own a home, it's not necessarily as easy to do because what are you going to do? You're going to sell to someone else, or you're going to move out and, and just pay the mortgage. You know, so every situation is different. It depends. But in all cases, if you're experiencing symptoms. Uh, that are uh, that are that are. If you're experiencing medical concerns, then you should obviously seek medical help. Um, and and if these persist and and you're unable to uh, reduce exposure through things like air purifiers and, and sleeping in different rooms, then then it's often a good idea to relocate.
1: Yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, obviously I promised the people today that we would talk about the legality side. If you don't mind, we'll do these other, the two questions that are on right now. So Tanya and Nicole will answer you guys. Feel free to ask more questions. Um, and then we'll get to them after we cover. So two questions, the legality side, and then, uh, the other questions, if they come up. Uh, the other one is what is the difference between black and white mold other than the color? Of course, uh, what would be the difference here?
0: well so the white mold question uh comes up a lot and it really oftentimes what people think is white mold especially if it's on a on a a concrete block wall or a con or 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 a cement wall is not actually mold it's actually mineral salts that come out it is indicate indicative of moisture on the other side of the wall Uh, and so you should fix that. And that usually means your gutters terminating too close to the foundation, or you've got some ponding or puddling out in your, in your yard, right next to that wall. So that needs to be addressed because that actually, that moisture that's in that concrete actually evaporates into the space and it, and it contributes to higher humidity. So, so it's not mold per se, but can it contribute to, to, uh, to humidity issue, which of course is the underlying cause of a lot of mold. Um, then, then the answer is yes. Now there are also, uh, um, types of fungi that are white. Um, and usually they are um, uh, actually uh, rot fungi, um, so not molds per se. They're actually uh, uh, forms of mushrooms, uh, and, they're, uh, and, and they, they are uh, sort of later stage um, than mold. Mold is kind of, the, they're kind of like the first guys to show up to the party, um, and the rot fungus is, is later stage. Um, there's also sort of light-colored, uh, they can be they they under the microscope they can almost appear, appear colorless, um, but uh, they're white or or yellowish, um, and so those those are also um, common dominant outdoor type molds, Aspergillus um, and Penicillium types, and uh, so these are these are very common molds. But uh, they to back to my my previous answer, there's no such thing as good mold growth of any significance in your building. If you whether you've got black mold, white mold, whether it's a a wood rot or whether it's a sort of one of these early colonizers, which means like the first molds to show up when there's a water damage issue. Um, they are all to be looked at as warning signs um, and, and and not to, again, not to be afraid of them, but to be aware of the fact that there's an imbalance in your home. Yeah, um, there's and, and what we're looking for in all these cases is to find a healthy balance. With, uh, with moisture in our building, right? We need a certain amount of moisture. Uh, you should get humidity gauges. Everybody here should get um, digital humidity gauges and, and try to keep your indoor humidity between 40 and 60% with a target of 45%. Um, and what you'll find is that, or what what's the reality is that mold loves the same conditions we do. It just likes a little more moisture. So it likes the temperature. It likes the stuff, the way we build our buildings. It likes the stuff we build. It likes
1: Florida. Yeah, There's Florida like, for the winter, right?
0: Exactly. No, I mean, it's, I mean, that's a it's, it's a it's a it's a dream. Florida is a dream. All these buildings made of paper mache and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, chronic high humidity. So um, so the difference between those molds is essentially the species and the degree and the, and the kinds of, of conditions that are present. But in all cases, they're indicative of the same thing, which is a moisture problem.
1: Thank you very much. And then this uh, question, I'm sure, will be a little bit more straightforward, and then we'll get to the legality side for you guys. And Nicole, I really appreciate you asking this because, uh, Jason, I didn't know you before we moved out of the apartment. It was like a couple weeks afterwards that we got to talk. And so I took crazy person approach, and we... We threw away stuff and we threw away stuff that was expensive and I just didn't want to risk it. Uh, Nicole asked here, if I lived in a house with mold previously, do I really need to get rid of all my belongings? And the reason she's asking it in that way for anyone listening to this afterwards or watching right now is a common thing that goes around the functional medicine space is that you should throw away the mattresses, the chairs, the clothes. So what do you think about this one, Jason?
0: The the short answer uh, to this is it's a very common answer when it comes to these kinds of things, which is it depends, OK? Um, and, and I know that's not the answer anybody wants to hear, but it really does. There's so many different variables in this. So I'll give. You, I'll see if I can give you a, a short and sweet um, answer. So there's a difference between mold spores and mold growth. Okay, Spores are the seeds, if you will, uh, or seed-like uh, hardy reproductive capsules that break free and, uh, and, and go forth and prosper. They're, they're, the goal is to go and colonize somewhere else. Um, when you've got mold growth in a building, uh, the spore counts are often very high, and then they settle out of the air because gravity works, and they land on your stuff. Um, that is essentially, uh, if that happens a lot, then th- those items can become contaminated. Um, those items can usually be cleaned. Uh, this is this this assumes that they have not been directly wetted, or have been exposed to a pro- uh, to high humidity for a prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. So. Prolonged period of time when it comes to mold and moisture issues is three days. So it's not like we're talking weeks or months. Um, you know, if you if you have high humidity for, for for more than two or three days, um, then you can have surface growth start to start to emerge. And when I say high humidity, I'm talking above sixty percent. And oftentimes, as soon as you go up to seventy percent, eighty percent, the the number the the, the timeline um, shifts dramatically. It gets shorter and shorter and shorter. The higher the humidity, the shorter the timeline. Um, okay. So. You know, what you have to do is oftentimes this takes some evaluation by a professional, quite frankly. But it really depends on the nature of the moisture problem that caused the mold problem. So if your stuff got wet and it stayed wet for more than three days, then you should throw it out, quite frankly, unless there are items of very high monetary or sentimental value, which should be dealt dealt with on a case-by-case basis. They can often be restored, but you have to do the math on that and see whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze. Um, Because oftentimes it can cost you more than the item is worth to clean it and restore it. Um, But if if you've been in a moldy building uh, and the the, uh, the items have uh, and there's been high spore counts, um, but the mold is not actually growing on the items, there's a big difference between stuff that's been in a moldy space versus stuff that has become moldy. Um, And so if the stuff has just been exposed to an environment with high spore counts, those items don't need to be thrown away. They can usually be cleaned either, uh, you know, your clothing and and porous items like that can be sent to a dry cleaner. I highly recommend using an organic one. And what I mean by that is one that uses CO2, not organic perchloroethylene, which is, you know, technically an organic chemical, the nasty, the dry cleaning stuff. But you want to use a healthy dry cleaner or a healthy laundry that doesn't use fragrances, by the way. Um, And uh, and you can get that stuff cleaned and restored. Um, But things like mattresses um, generally don't need to be disposed of. People do it all the time. Uh, Unless they were in a high humidity environment or they were directly wet. Um, and so it's. However, I would also say that most mattresses should be thrown away uh, because most mattresses are loaded with flame retardants and and uh, and springs, which can poten- potentiate with EMF and all sorts of weird things like that. So, you know, you like the the, the old school mattresses uh are 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 essentially uh unhealthy and and uh and are are an environmental exposure issue by themselves and there's a whole new fleet of new kinds of mattress brands out there between casper and avocado and lisa and all these different brands that make really beautiful healthy organic mattresses now that if you're looking for an excuse to get a healthy one take advantage of it Mm -hmm. but don't think that you need to throw it away just because it happened to be in a building that had mold
1: well, I felt bad for a second and then I felt good again because I'm like, okay, well, it was a normal mattress. It was like new as of like a year ago. So I felt really stupid. But so, so now I'm neutral on it and I'll go call up avocado. So thank you very much. And thanks, Nicole, for the question. Great, uh, a great point, because I think that comes up a lot for people. And I took the approach, you know, all jokes aside, I took the approach of really what we threw away was about two grand worth of stuff. And is that a lot of money? It can be. Yeah. I, I don't want to like act like two grands nothing. But to me, with how bad I was feeling and how bad I felt in my life and how much I've spent on my health, I'm like, I'll take the risk and I'll get a new damn mattress. I'll figure it out. Uh, that's that's That was for me. And a house, if like the whole house was screwed up and you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff, potentially, I, I love what you said. Get a professional involved and get them checking it out. It's going to be way cheaper in the long run uh, than throwing all that stuff out. So with yeah, let me that- jump in okay. there for
0: one second. Let me just sure. see if you fine. Um, it's really important, also, with anything that's non-porous, right? So that means anything that's wood, metal, glass, plastic, um, uh, anything that's got a finish on it. Uh, those things can all be cleaned. Uh, so you know, bed frames and 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 dressers and these kinds of things. Where you get into tricky stuff is is um, you know, a, a furniture that's partially upholstered. Um, you know, and uh, and of course, people get really wrapped up around things that are high value and, and sentimental like paintings and things like that. Um, so by the way, and to clean with what so uh, important segue to that, we well, clean clean. You know, you want to use a HEPA filtered vacuum cleaner to, to, to usually on the first pass if you can um, and uh, and that that the HEPA filter on the back is to capture the particles. Uh, you don't want to use a regular vacuum cleaner. Please do not. You just spew it around and you actually break them up into smaller particles and it's deeply respirable. So do a HEPA filter vacuum cleaner. Um and uh and then you use a damp wipe, and this is this is very uh, this is contrary to a lot of what people say. You know, you don't need a mold killer, uh, you don't need any sort of, you don't need to kill mold to remove it. It's not like you have to sneak up behind it and snuff it out before you rip it out before you remove <laughs> if it. From you're the
1: naked joke it, yeah. yeah,
0: you don't. It doesn't need to. be, You know, you don't need to assassinate the stuff to get rid of it. Um, you need to just remove it, and so it, it effectively, you treat it like you would dust. And if you get your if you get your belongings essentially dust free. You have remediated them. Uh, my, my number one inspection technique after remediation is a white glove test. Um, and if they pass the white glove test, then I'll collect their samples. But if they fail the white glove test, then the building's not clean enough for me to test. And so I look at that. I use the same um, that same method. I bring that same simplicity to uh, looking at individual items. Um, if they're you know you, you just want to get them clean, visually clean. And by the way, clean in modern America is, 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 has been redefined as sterile. Uh, and that is not clean. Clean by definition is free of dirt and debris. So <laughs> we can rewind a little bit and use clean and also clean doesn't have a scent. Clean doesn't have a smell. so no, really? fr-
1: doesn't smell like pine (laughs) salt and stuff.
0: (laughs) If it has a scent, guess what? It's not clean. It's got a residual residue. It's actually got chemicals. And so I would argue that clean should be free of debris, dirt and debris, and chemicals. That's my definition of clean, is that free of chemical residue as well.
1: I love listening to someone who is uh, smart enough and knowledgeable enough about a specific domain that... And and I do this with certain things, but it's very fascinating to hear you do this two podcasts straight and what you're carrying around in that head. And I'm sure you could do it for five more at least it's like you say something and then you also have to add the disclaimer to it because if you're actually aware of this stuff and knowledgeable about it you know that there's layers to it like you actually have to well what about this and what about that it's like yes clean it but this is what clean means and by the way if there's a fragrance and it's that and it's all accurate it's just um again uh, another little master class for people here in terms of learning so we appreciate that i know we won't have as much time to spend maybe 20 minutes on the legal side here uh, i'm fine with going a few minutes over if, if you're okay with that in your schedule uh what i want to know though is especially especially for the renters out there. Um, and I can actually use my my situation as the baseline. Obviously, guys, I don't think this needs to be said. This is not legal advice. Jason's not a lawyer. He's not going to come fight your mold case for you. Uh, but I was very surprised when I did some preliminary searching. If I had been made aware of the mold presence in my apartment uh, earlier on, it's, it's kind of interesting how many rights the uh, tenants seem to have. Uh, now, I ended up in a weird situation because we were ending the lease anyway. And making a transition into tiny home life. So now I'm going to be super careful about tiny home stuff with, um, you know, just mold and all those things. With that said, though, we were ending the lease regardless. And we just found out in the same month, oh, my gosh, the way I've been feeling or the reason I've been feeling this way was mold. We had no idea what was going on. And so in the same month that we had already announced our leaving, that's when we found the mold. Um, Someone like me wouldn't necessarily have much of any rights there. Correct. Um, Well, let's start with that. Is that correct? If you've already left, I, I'm, I'm basically going to leave anyway. It's October 5th. I'm saying I'm leaving on the 31st. They're like, okay. And then October 7th, I find out, wait, damn, I have black mold in my HVAC system.
0: Well, you know, the, the rights around, uh, renting. And by the way, let me precede this little segment with, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I've never even played one on TV. This is not legal advice. If you have legal questions, consult with a lawyer. Um, However, uh, I've seen enough of this to to, to, to know uh, sort of what works and what doesn't work, and also what the limitations are on these things. Um, you know, the, the, your rights as, as a renter uh, revolve around um, the landlord's obligation to provide uh, fit and habitable housing or safe and clean housing, depending upon which which uh, uh, municipality you read the, the implied warranty of habitability. Um, and so uh, when you're already leaving, um, you're essentially, uh, uh, expressing your right to, uh, live somewhere else. Uh, and so there you go. That's your right. You have the right to leave. Um, and, uh, and so that's one of the beautiful parts about renting quite frankly, is that, and it's one of the things that people don't really understand is that when you're, when you, when you have uh, a rental situation, the landlord, um, is subject to legal doctrine known as the Implied Warranty of Habitability. Uh, and this is legal doctrine in 49 out of the 50 states. Uh, it's not it's not applicable in Arkansas.
1: Oh, I knew that one. Yeah. All yeah. Right.
0: Nice. And it's funny because I actually <laughs> spoke to someone yesterday in Arkansas, and he knew this. Uh, and, and I thought that was pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, the idea behind that is that, um, well, there's a, a few different sort of um, uh, well, there's a lot of nuance to it, but. Uh, if if you look at what is how do you define fit and habitable or how do you define safe and clean, there's some subjectivity around that. Right. Um, But if you have a health condition um, that is either caused or aggravated by by mold, uh, well, then uh, any sort of mold growth of significance in the building is, in fact, a a hazard. And so (laughs) therefore, it's not safe, certainly not clean. And I would argue that it's not fit or habitable. Um, And so so in cases where this is a concern, most people who are renting are afraid to tell their landlord there's a mold problem, because they think they're going to get kicked out, or they they're going to get in trouble, or they don't want to you know impose, or you know they want to save that complaint, they want to save a you know keep an arrow in their quiver for something else. Who knows why? Uh, but most people are very sheepish around this. Uh, but the fact is that you're doing your landlord a favor if you let them know that there's a moisture problem in the building, because again, moisture is the number one enemy of a building, right? A, a moisture problem left unchecked will take a building down. I mean honestly it will fall apart so and then the longer a mold problem goes the more it grows uh, the more expensive it's going to be to remove and the more of a health risk it poses so letting someone who's in management or who owns the property know of a mold problem first is is doing them a benefit um and and so the way the, the the applied warranty of habitability works is that you you notify your landlord uh, of this issue in writing. I often recommend that people get a notebook uh, that's dedicated to this, mm-hmm. um, and you know you, you keep your own contemporaneous notes when you contacted them, when you let them know, you know what you've observed, what your symptoms are like, so that you don't have to worry about remembering any of these things. And by the way, they show they work really well in court. You bring a notebook in with all your contemporaneous notes, and that 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 is a that's a powerful tool in your favor. Um, and you let them know that there's a problem and you let them know that you've got a medical condition uh, or that you've got a sensitivity or that, you've, or that you've got little kids in the building, which are, by the way, very high risk, and or, or somebody who's elderly or someone who's got a compromised immune system. By the way, all of those things fall within, 80% of the population falls within these categories, right? Between all the epidemic uh, asthma cases and si- chronic sinusitis and chemical sensitivity, environmental sensitivities, and of course, like I said, the very young and the very old. Um, you know, that's a big chunk of our population. So if you fall within any of those categories, you're a shoe in for being, uh, for for, for being in the high-risk population, and therefore uh, uh, severe, si- significantly potentially affected. So, anyway, you notify your landlord, and then you, and then uh, in most municipalities, and this is the other piece. You want to look up the implied warranty of habitability in your local area, and you want to make sure that you're following the the framework or the protocol to the letter. Um, and if you do that, then then um, then uh, things operate pretty smoothly usually. And so usually what they're asking for is uh, a notification, you wanna be told uh, what the extent of the problem is that you've been able to identify. Um, and then uh, if there's any sort of test results, that's great, uh, but they're not necessary. If you notice any musty smells, uh, any of the visual observations, um, if there's been uh, any specific water events, and then of course, you, ne- you they actually want you to tell them how to do it which is really kind of weird uh, but they want you to reference um, the, uh, the the standard or the or the protocol that should be used and so in this case you want to reference the IICRCS 520 mold remediation standard uh, yes to, of course they used to talk about the EPA guidelines and the New York City guidelines and all that stuff and those are kind of outdated. Um, and so this is where it gets into some obscurity, right? Like who, yeah, who has the IICRCS 520 in there, you know, they're just, just going to whip that up. Um, but that's why we're having this conversation, right? Sure. Um, and so, you know, you Google, if you need to you Google the, I Google Mold Mediation Industry Standard, there's only one of them. Um, and so you want to make sure that they, uh, that they, uh, that they're notified that this is how it needs to be done. Uh, and that the property has to be uh, subject to third party testing um, yeah. before it can be moved out. And then, um, and then, uh, uh, the other functions that you can put into place uh, if they're not responsive to it in, in, a, in a fixed period of time, and you can give them a week, uh, as little as a week to take action on this. And then you can say, and if you don't take action on this within a week, to my satisfaction, I will pay my rent into escrow. Again, every state municipality is different, mm-hmm. so you want to make sure that this is, this is actually something you can do in your area. Um, uh, there are certain places that, that don't allow for this, but if you can, it's a very powerful tool because you pay your rent into escrow, and then they get the they get the, the bank statement showing that the rent is going into someone else's account, not theirs, uh, and that they will get their rent when they actually uh, get the work done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you you can also set a, an arbitrary date on when that that rent will uh, no longer be available to them, and that you will at that point, affect what's called a constructive eviction, which means that you can actually terminate your lease uh, without any negative consequences. No hit on your credit. You can get your security deposit back and you get to keep the rent that's been paid in escrow. Um, Bam, baby. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of a win, 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 win on that one. Uh, but the landlord loses. Uh, but then they also probably won't do that again. You know, there's there's that, that's, that that probably won't happen uh, very, very often with that landlord. I think I've only seen that happen twice, one time, twice with one landlord. In other words, like they learn pretty quickly. it um, yeah. Happens. Um, so, so this, this is, this is a powerful tool, but it's called, it's called, le- it's, it's called the implied warranty of habitability because it's not in the lease. It is, it is the underpinning of property leases in America, again, at 49 out of 50 states. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you'll never see it in writing. And that's one of the reasons why nobody really knows about this.
1: Right, um, I'd never but, heard of this once. I'd yeah, never it, heard of this once until it was a problem for me a tool. couple months ago.
0: Yeah, it's a super powerful tool. And I wrote an article about this. Um, and I'll drop a link here in the chat. <laughs> of
1: course uh, you did. Of course you did. There you go. Um, so, sweet. I'll put this in the public chat for everyone. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, and so, uh, yeah, so th- th- that is something. And, and by the way, there are, are also, um, you know, uh, not legal nonprofits uh, in, in every state, which help people uh, with the, these kinds of things. And if you go to them and say, you know, I mean something and, and express that you've got knowledge around the implied warranty of habitability or curiosity around that, uh, they can often help you navigate that, especially when it comes to the escrow and, and these kinds of things that really do require some, some, some legal guidance in many
1: cases. Jason, thank you so much. Um, uh, listen, we do have a couple questions here. You do not have to say yes to this. We're on the hour. Are you good or should we hop I'm, off? I'm good. Okay, then we'll take a few more here. Um, thank you guys for participating with us. We don't want to punish that by any means. Um, okay, we answered these two. When they work on removing the mold, is mold killer enough? So they, in this case, as the landlords, when they work on removing the mold, is mold killer enough or do they need to replace all the drywall? Okay, so that goes back. We, we talked about that briefly. Mold killer is never
0: necessary. Um, literally never. You never have to kill mold. Uh, I know this is this is exactly the opposite of what you learn if you go to Google or Facebook for your mm-hmm. mold advice, um, and you know, I don't know why. I, I guess the mold the mold killer product companies have done a really good job of good product, marketing. But, but, <laughs> but, but you know, it used to be bleach. But everyone was like, "Ah, just throw bleach on it," uh, and then it was like, "Oh, I'll just paint some kills on it. Put some you know, paint it with this stuff." None of that stuff is 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 effective. It, it actually makes it worse. Um, mold killer is often water based, by the way, and so so you spray that on. You actually. Uh, are you can disperse the mold first of all make it airborne because the, the droplets will actually cause it to disperse and then of course you know because mold is a water problem you're often adding water to a water problem at best and at worst you're adding chemicals to an environment and the whole purpose of, of this is to restore the property to a normal healthy condition and less chemicals is healthier so so mold killer is never a good idea uh in fact drywall is uh is it has to be removed if if, if mold is growing on drywall the, uh, the protocol is that all wallboard within two feet uh, should be removed and, and and you have to really do that with uh, with care. So that's why professionals will 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 encapsulate or I should say contain the work area uh, with tape and plastic um, and then install ventilation so that the dust they make while they're removing it um, and also exposing potentially a lot more mold behind the wall right? Oftentimes what you see on the surface is just the tip of the iceberg. So once you cut up a wall, you can find a lot more and then they're going two feet from what they find. Um, But yeah, no, they would need to replace the drywall and any other porous building material, including insulation, which is commonly affected in this kitchen in this in those situations as well.
1: All right. Thank you. And we got one more here. Um, an astute question. Seems like someone's actually, it knows a lot about this and is going through it post mold shower remediation and sorry, they are going through post mold shower remediation and they are reacting badly to the petroleum based slash VOC tile sealant. My gosh, you can't win one thing and you, you can't win the other either. Tried washing the tile, airing out the room, air scrubbers, still not tolerating the shower. How do you remove the VOCs?
0: Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I don't I don't have a good answer for that. I'm sorry.
1: Uh, Anita, I don't know if you because I actually know her. I don't know if you had asked this in um, the graduates group yet. That might be something for there or uh, definitely Ryan Monahan. I, I I'm assuming you probably have already done that. But just in case, definitely go reach out there. We'd love to help you. All right. Um, it looks like that's all for the questions. Jason, thank you so much again for hopping on. If this was someone's first time hearing uh, you and they didn't hear the other podcast, where can they find you? And I, I know it's kind of a loaded question. Um, you're not sitting here, you know, again, selling an air purifier or anything like that. Uh, so just so they are clear, where can they find you and what is it that you offer uh, people like us or consumers to use?
0: Yes. So, uh, so we have uh, a, a welcome page, right? Um, that we made and i believe let me just see was it uh detective do you remember have do you guys have that at your fingertips i'm, sh- I'm
1: sure i have it somewhere i can try to yeah. figure it out um
0: and i should have that right here but let me see something uh, so we gotmold.com is 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 where uh is where i live of course um and uh and so what we have you what we usually have is a welcome page uh for listeners and let me see if i can I'll pull that up, um, but what what I what I my, my my sort of day job when I'm when I'm not do, doing podcasts is we help people uh, with cost-effective testing solutions. So uh, uh, as Evan mentioned, when we uh, when we were when I was first being introduced, uh, we make a, a very high-quality at-home test kit um, that uh, that we sell under the Gottmold brand. It allows you to test your air uh, in up to three different rooms without the cost or hassle associated with trying to find and hire a professional. Um, and uh, there we go. There's a there's the link right Beautiful. there. Um, and thank so, you, Tracy. Uh, what a godsend. Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, so through that link, there's a there's a discount available um, that allows. Uh, and also, you know, it for 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 uh, for the FDNs here uh, that are interested, uh, we have a, another special link which is fdn.gotmold.com. Oh, nice. And so check that out. That's a really good place to. So that's actually there's a there's an affiliate opportunity there. Uh, and that allows, uh, you can sign up there and you can get a discount yourself and then you can offer discounts to your, to your clients.
1: Oh, why do you do this to me? Jason, damn it. Now I'm on the, all right, we're buying it. Crap. Another thing. I get screwed from this podcast, man. I swear. No, I can't wait. This is awesome. Awesome. Thank you for setting this up.
0: Yeah, that that is, uh, and that just went live. So we're really, really excited about this, uh, this partnership. You'll see that it's actually co-branded um and so uh so there there's a bunch of resources on that page if you want if you scroll down you'll see uh that there's uh you know sample reports uh a video for how it works um and uh and other tools uh that can help you uh promote this to to your audience if you feel so inclined um and then if anybody has any questions um this is a, a subject matter where there's a lot of confusion. And so we, we welcome these questions. Uh, you can go to uh, gotmold.com and scroll down to the bottom of the home page. And there's a contact field there. Um, and I, I see every single question that comes through. Uh, and we're, we, we have legendary customer service. So we, we'd love to take those questions. Um, and the other thing you can do is go to Instagram at gotmold. Um, and there's a ask me anything there. Uh, And you can post questions there. And I like that because everybody gets the benefit of the answers.
1: Sure. Sure. Nice. Um, Really quick, if you don't mind, Jason, Maria asked if they'd like to know if our program, if FDN teaches us. Uh, teaches them how to treat or educate mold illness clients. Uh, so Maria, in the main course, we're focusing on a lot of the foundational stuff that would not be um, necessarily including mold. Now, uh, Jason and Reed have been talking, maybe that's a little premature, but there might be something cool in the future. As of this moment right now, that's not something we're teaching in the main course. What we do have on the graduate side is extensive um, extra webinars for this extensive training. We have a bunch of practitioners that can help out. Uh, but just to be clear, you would basically basically have to get through the main program first before getting those additional resources. Uh, Totally worth it once it's there, but I just don't want you to think that's going to be an overnight thing. It takes on average about eight and a half months for people to graduate. So you'd be looking at about eight months before you could benefit fully from the uh, graduate side of this. So I think that is all for today. I'll share the Instagram link right up there. And if you're listening on audio, obviously I'd have this in the show notes for you guys. Uh, But Jason, thank you so much for coming on for round two, my friend. You are uh, very impressive with how much you can store up there, uh, especially about such a specific topic like mold. I love listening to you. Thanks, Ev. I appreciate it. It's really good to be here.